Coming up on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs, I'm joined by my special guest, Lee Russell. Hi, Lee. Hola. Hola, hola you <laughs> sexy bitch. S- sexy, sexy Canadian bitch. Love the Canadians. Like we were saying just like earlier on, Nova Scotia, which is basically New Scotland, and you drink whiskey. You are practically my brother. I just I need more whiskey though. That's that's the thing. Uh, we, we we're we're in short supply of good whiskey here, but uh, we do have a lot. And yes, indeed, I do feel the I do feel the uh, the Scottish vibes coming through. Uh, my 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 uh, my family was run out of Scotland, but uh, um, <laughs> because we I think we tried to overthrow a prince or something. That's for, <laughs> that's what I was told. That's what I was told. I don't know if it's true, but well, well, uh, we, we basically were... any Tuesday night in Scotland. Basically, it's like uh, someone gets drunk and tries to overthrow a prince. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sad that the uh, that the boss isn't here because I was going to fight him about abominable. Oh well, we will get. Tr- trust me, that will happen somewhere down the line. But I, I mean, speak, speaking of like um, <laughs> speaking about abominable, uh, we didn't cover that in this show. What we could, what we did cover in this show was two slasher films with a the, the loosest of tangible links, which was. Tom Savini did a lot of work on one of them and very little on the other. (laughs) We look at uh, the stabby goings on in the Prowler and then we have some fun uh, doing our Jack Palance impressions. That was a blast. Yeah, and then we get to hug Donald Pleasance. It's awesome. Yeah, that's how we finish (laughs) out. So yeah, you guys need to stick around to check out this show. It's episode 103 of the podcast Under the Stairs. But first, ladies and gentlemen, this is year four, motherfuckers, and this time, it's war. Ah, warning. The podcast Under the Stairs is not safe for work. We'll feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 103. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. The movie choice on this episode is um, loosely connected by Tom Savini who did special (laughs) effects and makeup on the first movie we'll be discussing, The Prowler, and did additional makeup job on um, Alone in the Dark. Now I could have picked something like The Burning which is an obvious choice, great Savini effects, but... But I really want to talk about Alone in the Dark, so maybe that'll be more to talk about for ages. And this is really the only way I can segue into any sort of show at all. So if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to mess with your heads, if I'm going to put the prowler first, I need to get a guest on who has never been on the podcast under the stairs ever before. I mean, this is crazy. My whole plan this year was to try and expand the sphere of influence with other podcasters. And this one's been at the top of the list for quite a while. And I'm overjoyed at this time to introduce my guest. He is one of the men behind the Must Be Destroyed On Sight podcast. He is the fantastic Lee Russell. Welcome to the podcast Under The Stairs. So how are you doing? Oh, great. Thank you very much for that introduction. Uh, 
way way uh more singing my praises than uh, you needed to but uh yeah I'm, I'm happy to uh finally be on here it's a it's a great honor and uh i, I think you're i think my podcast is probably the only podcast you haven't been on yet <laughs> uh we'll have to re remedy that at some time in the future but uh yes uh, until then uh glad to be here yeah definitely um i first came across your show um through i think it was mike murphy back like many moons ago had made a uh, post i think i think it was the i think i got to your show through mike murphy as well so uh he's bringing people together even if he's a spiteful old coot <laughs> and mike knows that we wouldn't say anything that we wouldn't see to his face so right. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah um and, and i've i've been i've been I've been admiring from this side of the pond since. Um, I love the format of your show. I love the fact that we were just speaking about this just off air. One of the, the really cool things is it's it's not necessarily tied into like this show's tied into horror and I have occasionally dabbled out with but even the content I speak about that's not horror is still grounded somewhere in, in horror. Um, but they must be destroyed on site podcast. You guys just really aim for good movies like genre be damned i mean was that the intention when you started the show or did you did you feel it morphing that way over time um i'd have to thank my co-host daniel for kind of branching us out into different directions i mean daniel was basically at the time the only movie nerd i knew that i talked to online and we just finally got around to doing a podcast and potentially when i was going to do a a, a, a podcast I was kind of thinking it was going to be just horror related, but uh, we just sort of, I guess, organically kind of grew out of it, like to the point where we got to do other stuff. And I mean, we did a early on, we did a sex comedy series. Um, we've done some look at uh, ext extended looks at crime films. I mean, we're in the midst, midst of one of those extended looks right now. So uh, we, we just try to branch out from everything from schlocky, obscure cult cinema exploitation to uh even ma more mainstream stuff and it, it's more just like whatever we fancy i mean we literally just uh every once in a while we get together and talk what do we feel like checking out and we come up with some ideas and we decide from there and go so it's worked out so far for us oh definitely i think it's i think it's great and and uh and speak uh, speaking from someone who who is like like i say horror podcast um the I tend to find myself gravitating more and more through time through my listening to shows that are more open to discussing other genres, even though mine's is kind of closed in. Um, because there's so but I mean, podcasting is a new blogging. Everyone has a everyone has a podcast. Right. Like, I'm fairly sure my mother has a podcast that she's doing <laughs> in secret. Um, where she shames me on every single show. I'm sure that's happening. But everyone has a podcast now, and I, I think. Um, especially horror podcasts. I don't know what happened there, but everyone is obviously it's such a huge mainstream genre at the moment, which has its good points and its bad points. But everyone has one, so I I think listening to that and even here because you guys reference other movies as well as you're going on, and, right. and you get a, an idea of your love of cinema through listening to the show, and it's not just stats facts and things read off an IMDB page there's you know there's real there's real passion behind that and like I say that, that this is the sort of thing that is becoming slightly a lost art it's like shows bogged down with facts and statistics uh, and maybe less on the on the love 
Well, you know what? Where is the love? Is that great band um, Black Eyed Peas once sang many minutes ago? That's the question I ask myself all the time. But uh, yes, I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited. Uh, hopefully, people can hear how excited I am to have you on the show because we've been chatting. I think we've been on, we've been friends on Facebook for easily more than half a year. Yeah. And we've been chatting backwards and forwards. And I keep saying, I keep, I keep like, Lee, I'll get you on the show at some point. You're like, yep, <laughs> whatever, man, just give me a message. I'm like, not a problem. And then I book a ton of shows. And then I'm like, Lee is not in this list. I'll get, Lee, I'll get you on this show. And you're like, okay. And it's kept going on. And it was, it was at this, it was a kind of flight or die mm-hmm. scenario. And I was like, he needs to come on the show now. I cannot make March and not have him on the show. And yeah, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I picked one movie that you were familiar with, and one. Right. I, the, am I right in saying Alone in the Dark? This was a first watch for you. Yes, it was. I'm very much looking forward to this one because FYI to all those out there, kind of like that one better than the Prowler. But we're not going to we're not going to jump into that. Um, <laughs> do love the Prowler though. Uh, yeah, it's it's so so unbelievably cool. So before we get into taking a break and uh, like playing promos and trailers etc a um, couple of things a couple of things I, I, I need to, to ask one is obviously you have that podcast out there where can people check out that podcast okay uh, if people would uh, like they can go to tmbdos.podbean.com and they can find all of our episodes there they can find our iTunes link We can. you can also find the YouTube version uh, we still do this sort of old school uh, you put our podcast on YouTube and put pictures on top of it if you're if you feel like sitting on YouTube for an hour and a half and uh, looking at still pictures while listening to us that's always fun <laughs> and of course <laughs> and of course you can just join us at our group they must be destroyed on site on facebook and uh just join in it's a small little community but uh every once in a while some interesting conversations spark up and that's probably the best place to find out what's going to be coming up on the podcast itself so uh if you want to join in you're more than welcome to uh, join in and uh, we'll bring you in on the group i have just realized that i like i tend to share the pages of shows that i've been on um, mm-hmm. on that page but I also tend to share the pages of uh, shows that I really like and I don't think I've ever shared your page on my podcast page and that is a crime um, and I will do that when we finish recording and I'm just going to say that like, the Teapots listeners can be quite rabid so when I share things they tend to do it en masse so if your phone dies <laughs> like if you're oh. bad and your phone dies well, from notifications of people joining your page I apologise in advance well, here's the thing. I'm a bit of a technological Luddite, so uh, I, I hate cell phones, and I don't own one, so it won't be a problem for me. So You might be the only person I've ever met... You might be the only person I've met in several years that doesn't have a mobile phone. Oh, I, I, I tell you, uh, Duncan, people look at me like I'm some sort of fucking freak every time <laughs> when I tell I'm just, them. I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, how carefree your life must be. I kind of want to swap places with you. I mean, I I have a a, a loathe loathe relationship with my phone. I, I don't want to have it, but when I don't have it, I feel like someone's cut my dick off. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, I've just I've just never uh, I've just never taken a plunge. I've never needed one. So, uh, uh, yeah. You're my hero right now. You like you are le- legit my hero. I, I, like I, I'm telling you right now, people are looking at whatever device they're listening to this on. They are looking at that just now, and they are also of the opinion that you you are the last great man. That's I've decided right now. That's Lee Russell, the last great man. That's your new nickname. It's, Goddamn! It's, well, it's I gotta, 
I got I, I got to put that. I got to update my Facebook profile. Then. <laughs> right. Um, the second thing I was going to ask you, I, I do this. Uh, I do this generally when people come on the show for the first time. Mm-hmm. But I, like you say, you um, you obviously kind of started the show off kind of looking at horror and you branched out and stuff like that. What kind of horror do you like? What's what, you know what what's what's your your niche? Are you a lover of all other certain um, genres that you gravitate towards more than others? Um, I tend to sort of uh, gravitate more towards uh, older stuff. Um, I, I think probably a lot of us horror nerds tend to do that, but yeah. um, I do tend to gravitate towards uh, Amicus and Hammer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely am a big lover of John Carpenter. Uh, Ask me on any sort of given day, and I might tell you that The Thing is my favorite horror movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Or I might tell you uh, the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers is my favorite horror movie of all time. Um, I, I, I tend to go for more classic stuff, more uh, well-paced, well-thought-out, well-acted, uh, well-done stuff. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of modern stuff I like, too. But uh, I've sort of slowed down on on uh, on finding good stuff in the in the modern age, even though this past year has actually been quite a uh, sort of a boom period for horror again, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. But uh, yeah, I, I tend to gravitate t- more towards uh, older, more classic stuff uh, in, in general. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, I think both our kind of end of year lists had um, had quite a lot in common. There was quite a, quite a few titles that were right. shared on both, and I think that that's testament to. You know that the ability of filmmakers out there to still make, you know, new filmmakers to still be able to make horror films that get people of our ilk who appreciate like older horror styles, older horror tropes, and pacing, and still manage to kind of uh, to not only get our attention but but put out content that we enjoy as well. And that's that's always a danger. As you, you I'd, I mean, I'd hate to be. Uh, you know, uh, a horror director now kind of starting out because you kind of feel like on some level you need to pay homage to the movies you grew up watching. Right. Um, so you need to kind of tap into that base, but you are ultimately at the mercy of a system which is designed to make movies for a generation that is very likely unaware of the movies you grew up watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it becomes this weird sort of kind of catch twenty two of trying to stay true to your core at the same time working in an, an industry which doesn't care about that, only really cares about aiming at a, a demographic which you may not have anything in common with. It's a, it's, it's a weird scenario and one, like I say, that I'm very glad I don't have to exist in. Yeah. Because it would drive me up the wall. <laughs> you're damned if you do if you're, and you're damned if you don't. I mean, if you, if you go too far and the direction of uh, fan appeasement and homage, people are just going to call you a poser. Uh, if you go t- too far in the other direction for uh, just cheap commercial stuff, then people are really going to rip on you again. And um, I just, you know, just look for the people who are trying to make a good horror movie, you know, especially people maybe doing it in the independent circles who don't have those restrictions. They might have financial restrictions, but they don't have uh, people pulling their strings. Uh, they don't have test markets and focus groups and all that bullshit, and they're not trying to latch on to some uh, trend of uh, that's easy to make a, a cheap movie out of and maybe make a couple bucks. So uh, they're, uh, those sort of films now, the, the really good ones are starting to become diamonds in the rough, but there's still plenty of diamonds out there if you know where to look for them. 
Agreed. Couldn't have said it better myself, sir. Could not have said it better myself. Right, we have two fantastic examples of really early 80s slashers um, on different sides of the absurdity scale here. Right. Um, and I feel like we just need to, to hit and headstrong. I am surprised that it's taken me this long to review either of these movies. Mm. But I'm now thinking, if ever there was a time to do it, now is the time. And if ever there was a guest, it's yourself that needed to be on it. And that's that's how I'm living with my decision here, is I had yeah. to wait for the right time and for Lee to be on the show. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to take our first break of this show. You're going to hear some promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our first movie review. We're jumping back to 1981 and we're going to look at... The Prowler. We're going to be right back right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They tried to kill us. You ungodly warlock. <laughs> but we just won't stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show, the internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app, search TMHS Radio, or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. Do you desire to add yet another entry in the endless legion of film review podcasts to your playlist? Can you not stand the thought of having any moment of your dull, pointless, waking life intruded upon with the sounds from the real world, and would prefer to listen to a small cast of assholes talk about movies? Then, they must be destroyed on sight! Probably meets your bare minimum requirements. Join Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest hosts as they talk about films from every genre, ranging from the obscure and schlocky to the well-known top-dollar classics. Look for They Must Be Destroyed On Sight on iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, and Facebook. That's They Must Be Destroyed On Sight. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home was about to begin. Roy? Come on. Come on, kid. Don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. They never found out who did it. But it had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. Whenever the time was right, he'd come back. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. 
after night, he waited for her. <coughs> the Prowler. If he gets you, you'll wish you were dead. Catch your breath. It starts all over again. You may think you're safe, but you're dead wrong. The Prowler, coming soon. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our first movie review. This is The Prowler from 1981, directed by Joseph Zito. Um, this movie stars uh, Vicky Dawson, Christopher Goutman, that's not mm-hmm. his name, uh, Lawrence Tierney, Farley Granger, Cindy Wentrop, Lisa Dunseith, David Sederholm, oh my god, Bill Nunnery, Tom Bray, Diane Road. <laughs> Brian England, I'm getting very much aware that this is going uh, you, the wrong way. You know, you know what's the, one of the best things about being asked to be on this podcast, other than the fact that I don't have to edit it myself, I just have to be on it. Uh-huh. Uh, the fact that I am not the worst at pronouncing names on a podcast for once, because <laughs> I am. If you ever listen to any any time we do an Italian movie of any sort on my podcast, I just butcher those names so badly that I'm I'm probably not going to be allowed to ever go to Italy if, if anyone from the government ever hears this. At least you've got an excuse. I mean, Italy's not exactly next door to Canada. This is an English movie. You know, this is, this is an American movie. I can't pronounce any fucking <laughs> bastard in it. I, I've got no excuse. And the synopsis for this one is listed on IMDb as an unknown killer clad in World War II US Army fatigues stalks a small New Jersey town bent on reliving a 35-year-old double murder by focusing on a group of college kids holding an annual spring dance. That was all one mm. sentence. God damn it, where's the punctuation? Oh. So, first question I need to ask you before we, we kick into this one is, when was the first time you saw The Prowler? Okay, so I'm pretty sure I did see it earlier on when I was a kid, like just on TV. The first real proper time I watched it was in 2015 for my podcast. So that was the first time I really got a, you know, a real sober kind of look at it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I had seen bits and pieces of it, of it as, a, as a kid, uh, chopped up um, on TV. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I this is one that... Uh... I, I struggle. I was I was thinking about this actually all week. When was the when was the first time I saw the Prowler? And 
to the best of my knowledge, it's always been at the back of my head. I, I think mm-hmm. it's always been one of those ones where I, I know I, you know, I, I'm very much aware of it. Could you know remember visually in my brain scenes from it, right. but I can't pinpoint when I saw it. It must have been. It, I must have been in my early teens. It must have been because that's I went through a, a like a kind of ravenous sort of slasher binge. Uh, back uh, then, when I was just like anything with, like you know, any anything with coeds dying at the hands of a, uh, you know, a mass killer, and I I, I was rigid. Um, so <laughs> I, I think I think yeah. So it must have been about then. And it's it's weird this one because I always feel, and we'll get into it in a bit more detail. But I always feel that the Prowler is is beloved by slasher horror fans. But it mm-hmm. isn't necessarily well known in horror circles. You know what I mean? Like people like right. maybe know the name but have not seen the movie, uh, which is which is quite interesting because for all intents purposes, th- this is this is a very paint by number slasher movie. It, it comes out at a time mm-hmm. where we're really kind of uh, almost knee deep. And and the the slasher boom. I mean, eighty one's almost like smack dab in the, the the kind of height of the slasher boom. Yeah. Um. And it's. I, I mean, it doesn't do anything remarkable, but it does have some of the most iconic kill scenes. Um, right. In slasher horror history, at the hands of the guy that we were talking about earlier, Tom Savini. Um. Mm-hmm. But for for the most part, this is a movie which doesn't give you. A ton of the absurd that you get in some of the like the Friday movies or you 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 know yeah. even the Halloween movies. This one is more kind of it's reserved in quite a lot of respects, like the dialogue, mm-hmm. the you know the, the time that it's set in, and a lot of that stuff. But it does not hold when when it needs to get bloody. It really doesn't hold back. Um, mm-hmm. I I think like the story was saying there. We basically um, are. The, the, the backstory to the killer, the, the, the titular prowler in this movie, um, is, you know, that, that this guy who... We, we see this guy who's coming back from war um, and has... I'm assuming it was, like, his girlfriend or his wife or something. He's been yeah, he had, a, he had a Dear John letter, basically, you know, sort of a... Uh, a typical thing you'd see with uh, with uh, young men who go to war and they come back and find out their girlfriends have shacked up with the uh, draft dodger. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like a bit better. Um, yeah, and uh, surprisingly, this does not go down well. Mm-hmm. This one takes that a bit personal, gets a bit stabby, um, yeah. as you do, as you do. Uh, and then we are catapulted many years into the future 35 according to that synopsis um, right. and we're in this small town uh, during graduation dance the teenagers are all hot and heavy and doing things they're not supposed to uh, and in the back, <laughs> the backdrop of this we have the once again the titular prowler uh, cutting around and not only his army fatigues but like this I- I'm assuming, it, I mean the, the mask that he wears uh, is not something you I would imagine soldiers would have wore, but uh, they obviously put that there to hide the identity of the of the killer. Yeah, I think it's. I, I I was sort of confused in what it was supposed to be when I was doing research on this for my podcast. Um, I think it's supposed to be some sort of uh, extra protection for the soldiers, uh-huh. uh, maybe some sort of weather protection, or even possibly kind of a 
primitive kind of uh, gas mask right. uh, I- idea without the actual gas mask uh, attached to it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just sort of the, the the side hood around around the face or whatever. But um, but yeah, uh, it, it it does look. Um, Make, it makes them look a lot different than your typical mass killer. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think there's something inherently creepy about it. Like from the first time mm. you see it, there's there's something almost because there's there's no features at all on it. I mean, most mass right. killers have some sort of feature, whether it's you know eye holes or like a, like a mouth hole or something, where you, you are mm-hmm. you can make out the the line of a face or whatever. There's something very android about this. You know, something very yeah. plain and blank. And I think that adds to the the tension of it, I mean, like, even to an extent when you look at, like, a killer like Jason Borges in cinema, um, to me, the always the more terrifying Jason was Sack Mask Jason, because right. you just have that one eye <laughs> really mm-hmm. yeah. cut out, and that in itself is, you know, fairly unsettling, um, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of adds to it. Uh, his, his weapon of choice um, in this is one that I think is wholly underused, but I think that's probably fine. In the world of cinema, he, he kind of doubles up between two weapons, really. One of them being a pitchfork, which right. not easy to smuggle about the place. Very much like PCs, not easy to hide a, you know, a, a chainsaw <laughs> under your jacket. <laughs> uh, is that a chainsaw? Are you just happy to see me? Uh, yeah. And um, it's kind of like a like an extended bayonet, like a, almost like That's a sword. What it is. Yeah, uh, which is his secondary weapon that he uses in here. And like the the synopsis suggests, he basically arrives during uh, this kind of spring dance, so to speak, and starts killing off teens, just left Mm -hmm. and right. Um, Let's talk about some of the things that you like about the Prowler. What is it? What is it? If any, I'm assuming you like it. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, I'm sorry for making you watch it again. Uh, What is it about the Prowler that you like? Um... Well, first off, I will say you are right. It feels like a film that's kind of overlooked, uh, but uh, fondly talked about. But a lot of times you don't see people necessarily talk about what they like about it all that much. It's more of a trivia uh, point kind of movie. Like, oh, yeah, it's got these really great Savini effects and uh, it was well directed or, you know, or it's it's got an it's got an interesting mystery subplot to it. But other than that, uh, a lot of people don't seem to say much about it. But um I first off, I do really like that the movie just blatantly right at, right near the actually in the first twenty minutes they they give you about eighty five red herrings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they they set everything up from Lawrence Tierney in his wheelchair to uh, the the uh, the half brain dead guy at the uh, store. Um, they even sort of make you suspect for a time that maybe the uh, the uh, young deputy sheriff is is the killer. Um, they they try to make uh, some other red herrings seem so obvious that it can't possibly that be that uh, that person. Um, so I do like that aspect. I do like the look of the killer, as we talked about. Um, I do kind of wish that they had maybe gimmicked him up a bit more, where they used a bit more of his uh, paraphernalia from the war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it would have been nicer if he had maybe like a couple. Uh, old World War II style, like uh, gas grenades or something like that, that he could have uh, employed in some some regard. Maybe maybe had his bayonet on his on his rifle mm-hmm. instead of a pitchfork. Pitchfork because pitchforks seems like something Jason Voorhees would be using. Yeah, and 
but uh, but still, at the same time, they really do make the most out of using that pitchfork. Like w- whether it's the first uh, kill in the uh, opening uh, prologue, or the final uh, the final scene of the final girl, where he's using the pitchfork around that room trying to find her. Uh, very very effectively done. And um, I do like that they sort of keep the mystery going for quite a while. Like, they, they keep throwing red herrings at you. Uh, they keep twisting and turning that in that way. Uh, there are some faults with the film, and I'm sure we'll get to those uh, later. But um, this is a really well-paced, uh, well-done slasher film, I think. Um, it is kind of by the numbers, like you said. But, I mean, if you do the formula right, then and it's not boring, then there's nothing really to complain about at the same time. Exactly, exactly. I think that's that was sometimes the, the greatest fault of so many of the movies that came out in that time period and that genre was, you know, it's almost the, the, the Roger Corman effect of get a snappy name and a poster right. and people will go and see this movie as long as we do this, this, this and this. And sometimes forgetting that, yes, you need to do... You need to have the snappy name. You need to have the, you know, mm-hmm. the iconic killer. But at the same time, you need to have a story. <laughs> um, yeah. And one that's, you, you know, I mean, w- when you look at something like the the Jally as a genre, I mean, they were, for all intents and purposes, heavily pushed on style. And, mm-hmm. you know, the story almost becomes secondary to the style. But you yes. know that from watching it. It's very stylish. It's glamorous. Look at fashion look at the cities look at the insane deaths that are so over the top mm-hmm. reveal of a killer leaves you a bit puzzled head scratchy time um yeah where you don't have that and the american run of slasher films it really is kind of stripped back to bare basics and if you don't have the the story to an extent but if you don't have like a through line which really makes the movie you know continue on at a good pace the chances are that you know they, they become ineffectual to to cinema audiences. They actually don't. I, I'm surprised how many don't actually hold up. I mean, that's God knows how many slasher movies I saw late '80s, early '90s that mm-hmm. I've watched now. That I mean, the classic example um, is from this very director. I mean, the previous movie he did is Blood Rage, and I got that blurry when it came out. Could uh. not wait to see that. Watched it. <laughs> Time has not been kind to that movie. No. And. You then watch the Prowler, and the Prowler is a colossal step up in storytelling, you know, movie making, special effects. It's just an mm-hmm. all round better movie, and you would be forgiven for thinking it wasn't even the same director. Right. Yeah, no, uh, there's just a, a lot of really good talent behind this. Um, I think I think the actors all actually do a really good job. Um they're at least better than most of the actors in something uh, contemporary to this, say like uh, Prom Night or something along those yep. lines, which is sort of similar. Um, also, this this movie is, I think, an, I think another problem with this movie is a lot of people mistake this one for My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does get it does get lumped in with that a lot. Yeah, because they do sort of uh, feature similar plots of a of a return a returning dance years later triggering a killer back into killing um if you know if you actually buy that it's the same killer like for a while this this movie also puts out there the idea that 
oh, this, this, this killer might just be this escaped lunatic from another town who's headed this way. Or, you know, it might just be a new person taking up the killings from years ago. So um, the movie does keep you guessing quite a while. And uh, I do appreciate that. They, they actually paid some attention to trying to keep it interesting for the throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I even... The, the, the thing I remember, like, coming back to... I, I, like I say, I, I always remembered watching the film as a kid. But th- this is a testament to, to how well age this movie is right because in the mm. in the uk over here um the, the movie was butchered quite a lot because savini's right. effects were just too raw for the uk uh you know mm-hmm. licensing board they could not handle it over here at all so most of the most of the deaths are cut back if not even shown much at all um so when the movie got released uh, a couple of years ago anyway on blu-ray I remember like importing the Blu-ray and playing it on my laptop because that's how things were. You didn't have readily yeah. accessible uh, multi-region Blu-ray players over here back then. But playing it on my laptop, which had a multi-region Blu-ray player on it, and then seeing all these deaths in mm-hmm. their full glory and getting an appreciation for how well this... like, if, I mean, a lot of slashers are built on the deaths and that's really mm-hmm. how you sell the movie. But without those like over the top gory deaths and the versions that I had seen previously, I still really dug this movie. So it was doing other things right, um, enough to keep me interested. And then when you get to see it uncut, it's you know it's the it's the cherry on top of the, the ice cream sundae. You're getting extra stuff, and not only are you getting extra stuff, you're getting some primo Savini effects. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people jump to like the burning, like I mentioned earlier, which comes out the following year. As you know, yeah. this is this is this is Savini, like leveling up, so to speak. And I think it's once again down to the fact that people just readily overlook the Prowler. The Prowler has some incredible death scenes. That the the one that everyone comes back to, and rightly so. The pitchfork to the stomach and the shower scene yeah. is fucking incredible. And it ages so even on high definition, where you should be able to see the seams, I still cannot see the seams. It's fucking no. wicked. Yeah, it looks really good. I, I wonder if I wonder where there would be seams. I'm kind of thinking the pitchfork might have been retractable yeah. or something because, um, yeah, it, it it looks just uh, to uh, pardon the pun, uh, pitch perfect. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, that's bad. That's bad. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just so well done, and the death takes a few seconds too. It's like it prolong it 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 sort of you know the camera lingers on it. And it, and it happens for a few seconds, and you have that poor girl naked in the shower. Uh, that's one of the things this film does different, I think, from most slasher films of the time, where they would give you a little bit of nudity and sex beforehand, mm-hmm. then they would give you the kill. This kind of immediately pairs up death with sex yes. right away. Yes. Like, it doesn't give you a breathing space. It doesn't give you a chance to um, admire or like anything, unless you're into that sort of stuff. But... Um, but usually, you know, you you see the you see the attractive woman, and as soon as you do, they're already getting stabbed. Like there's no there's no breather between things. So yeah, I think I think that's the, that's spot on as well. Another thing that I really enjoy about this movie, and almost in the, in the same scene on the special effects, there is something so unsettling about the 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 guy's death when you know his mm-hmm. eyes essentially 
turn white and there's like I yeah it's, it's difficult to watch and not think about other movies that were out about the same time you know things like Scanners is the obvious one that springs to mind right um, from a from a fellow countryman of yours by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Mr Cronenberg putting out the old yep. I, I mean Ironside's iconic scene with his eyes you know with the contact lenses yeah. and the, there are parallels to that and the, the movies are not far off each other in terms of release as well but there's in the case of this one, it's such a jarring effect because it doesn't really make sense, but at the same time, it's well, I, I think it's as it's supposed to be his eyes rolling up yeah, in the top his of his head. head yeah, right? it's so so unsettling uh, to see, mm-hmm. and it's played so well. And once again, the effects are so they're on point. It's like Savini mm-hmm. really experimenting, getting to do what he wants to do. And I mean, we're coming off. Savini's involvement with Maniac, uh, which mm-hmm. has some, once again, amazing special effects, Friday the 13th, he's doing this movie, he's about to go off and do The Burning, um, which in itself, you know, has some, once again, incredible effects. I think, you know, it just, it, it, I mean, it elevates the movie. Had you maybe not, and like I said before, I, I remember seeing it and there was next to no death in it, uh, but just really enjoying the story. Uh, to an extent, once again, there are bits and bobs which I think, when you stand back and think it, you, you start to realise that there's a there's a timeline issue which doesn't quite mm-hmm. doesn't quite make sense in this movie. But um, yeah, I think looking at those elements coming back to if you take out a lot of the gore, or even if you you start minimising some of the deaths, this kind of starts to be removed from the slasher genre it could almost be a murder mystery um, yeah. it's the reason it, it becomes horror, the reason it gets moved in that way is because you really have attention to detail put on the not only the body count but the way that the bodies are you know, dispatched um, right. we were talking I think both of us have said there are things that maybe don't make it like a masterpiece, I don't think we're Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're breaking down the, the, the barriers of unacceptable comments about the Prowler by saying it's not a masterpiece. <laughs> um, is there anything that, that, that happens in this movie that that you, one, don't think necessarily works, or two, is, is just, it's not aged well and maybe that affects it? Um, I think, first off, the whole uh, Lawrence Tierney sort of cameo in this kind of doesn't work at all because it doesn't really ever pay off. I mean... You, you get him as the creepy old man in the wheelchair uh, at, the, at the start of the movie, and so he's obviously instantly entered into being one of the uh, one of the red herrings. Yep. And then the only payoff, uh, so-called payoff, is him grabbing our uh, final girl as she's uh, running away from the killer that first time in the dorm. Um, and then he disappears, and you and I guess it's implied that he gets killed mm-hmm. and done and, and, and done away with, but you never hear from him again. You never see his body. You never see any evidence that he's actually killed. You just, he just disappears from the entire film. And I'm kind of wondering, it's like at this time, Lawrence Tierney was really down on his dumps. He was doing like just shitty horror movies and stuff like that to make ends meet because he, he had a uh, substance abuse problems. Um, so what did they do? Did they did they pay the poor guy in vodka and send him on his way before? I I don't know what the hell was going on there. It's just like he just disappeared from the film, which sucks because I like Lawrence Tierney; mm-hmm. he's an excellent actor, and I think that could have been fleshed out a little bit better than uh, all of a sudden having him just disappear. Um, 
Another thing I would mention, although this kind of got cleared up for me this time watching it, I think it's something I missed a couple times uh, before. Uh, the the nerd couple that uh, go and make out in the basement. Yep. Uh, for the longest time, I thought that was also something that just got dropped from the film. Like they're making in the basement, and all of a sudden she's like, "I hear a noise," and then they just basically cut away from it. I didn't realize it was the uh, the creepy old uh, old guy there who was running the dance was down there spying on them making out in the basement. So uh, <laughs> that got cleared up for me, but it still <laughs> felt like it still felt like at that at that point a really unnecessary kind of uh, red herring and swerve. Like we were getting very light in the movie, and we didn't really need it anymore. So it didn't work for me as much. Yeah, I I, I would agree with both those points. Like I I was saying, there's a, there's a slight timeline issue for me. Um, in terms of when our killer is assuming it is the same killer mm-hmm. um, if you if you look at it, it says like 35 years after the, the double murder occurred assuming he was, like, I don't know, in his 20s when the war happened it, you know, it doesn't necessarily match up with the, the supposed age of the sheriff um, uh, I don't know do think? Um, Farley Granger was I think in his 50s at that right. point right so so i think i think that works out fine i mean he could have been as i mean de- depending if you want to make up backstory for this <laughs> depending on depending on when he joined up for the army he, he he could have lied about his age he could have been as young as like 16 suppose, or even younger yeah yeah, I yeah because that did happen so but i mean uh as things are assume that he went to war at age 18 he came back home. At the very most, he's probably twenty twenty one. So that still works out. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I, I will actually. I'll go back on that because I hadn't thought of that. I'd, for some reason, I was thinking older soldier, but that doesn't make sense because his his, mm. his bow, so to speak, was uh, she wasn't old. So actually, no. you know, I think you, I think you've cleared that up. So you've made me like this movie a bit more. That's why oh. you're here, Lee. This is why oh. you are here. Um, the, the plot at times, like even coming back to look at it now, I think the plot at times is is not is a bit muddled, and I think it, mm-hmm. it comes down to like you see, they don't necessarily clear up all the the avenues of what happens to certain characters, and the editing and certain bits to me feels almost as if that you know certain parts have been pieced together and. Well, you know, they had a scene later on that was maybe not put in to explain what happened right. to certain characters. And I mean, whilst it's not it's not detrimental, like I wasn't at the end of the movie, I, I wasn't sitting there going, "Well, you know, where was Tierney?" You know, at the end, yeah. where where is my Tierney cameo at the end of this movie? God damn it! You, you, well, you do. I was expecting it. Yeah, you do start to get to the point where you start to think, though. Well. If we have spent time and we have, you know, focused on this as a potential red herring, we need to be able to discount this red herring by the, the kind of classic tropes of cinema. This person either dies at the hand of the killer, proving he's not the killer, or he is mm. somehow cleared of not being the killer. They don't just usually just disappear. And that is that is almost the, the, the sort of thing that would happen in a giallo, is, right. you know, characters just disappear because the, the, the director's no longer interested in them. In them or the story has no more use for them and it's never really explained and you're usually thinking oh, what happened to that character in the you know the, the fourth act who you know you know it was the one that we thought because they were the one that had the no this doesn't make any sense anymore 
Um, and, and it does have issues with that. And I, I like I say, it's not like it's not like a fatal wound on the movie at all. No. But whilst they're getting so much else right with the movie, it's frustrating to watch and see that certain elements, which are easily tied up, you know, you don't have to mm-hmm. do much to tie those those parts up, are kind of almost inconsequential to the movie. So that you know the. Joseph Zito at that point doesn't feel the need to, and what's was more frustrating is like he as a as a horror director is on this kind of meteoric rise. His next movie after this is arguably the yeah. best of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, the final chapter, and it is a flawless slasher movie. Everything's tied mm-hmm. up. There's nothing really, even the ending, which I know some people say is a bit head scratching, which I fucking love. Um, <laughs> is you know all the characters are are given a proper send off. None of them really disappear without. You know, questions being answered. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's weird. It's weird. It kind of it carries over a couple of those head scratching traits from Blood Rage, but he seems to shake them off within a couple of years when he does the final chapter. But um, that's really yeah. like really the only things when I say certain things don't age well, um, like dialogue. Dialogue will never age well, especially no. in the early eighties, and at times it can be a bit cringy to watch. Um, but out with that, it's a thumping good slasher movie. I mean, like, a, a, a well above average for a lot of what came out in 81, and there are so many slasher movies out in 1981. It's, yeah. it's top tier for sure. Yeah, and it's also got, um, I will mention, it's got a pretty damn good score in it, too. It's got a sort of a, uh, sort of a minimalist uh, electronic kind of score as well. Uh, Richard in- Inhorn, who did uh, Shockwaves and Don't Go in the House yeah. as well around this time. Um, one of my personal favorites. He's kind of overlooked because you know John Carpenter's so mind-blowingly fucking amazing. <laughs> but uh, but he but he's actually really good. If if, if uh, listeners um, have never seen Shockwaves or Don't Go in the House, they should uh, check those out for his scores as well because they do add a lot to those films. And I think that it adds to this film too without um, being overexposed and too loud. Um, and I will say there's there's two things I do get a kick out of in this film though. Um, there, there's uh, the the uh, deputy sheriff has the worst luck with rooms and opening <laughs> doors. And wh- whether whether he can't seem to work a doorknob or he's hesitating or he changes his mind or he walks into the wrong room and gets knocked over the head, the the, the, the guy is just bloody hopeless. He's got to stop being a detective uh, or a sheriff or deputy and just go into. I don't know, fishing or something where there's no doors involved. <laughs> um, and the other guy, uh, the motel clerk, the, that 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 extended bit, where it's like two or three minutes of this comedy bit all of a sudden that just came out of nowhere with the motel clerk sitting there answering the phone and they're, they're trying to check on, on the uh, sheriff and try to get him back into town. And he just pretends to go and check on the sheriff and then basically blows the uh, deputy sheriff off is yeah. I, do, I don't i don't know it just sort of comes out of nowhere almost it's yeah it's, it's stylistically a bit weird um uh-huh. and it's almost as if the movie doesn't need any of that but yeah it, 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 it kind of feels like maybe they were t- maybe they're trying to insert a bit of levity in, in the movie but i i yeah. would argue this movie doesn't need that um, no. let's, the last thing we'll do before we give it a grade is let's talk about the end because th- there are two schools of thought in the end here either you like the end you think it kind of fits in with what was happening at the time in slasher movies and as such it's, it's, it's good or it's you know it's just another kind of carry wannabe rip off clone 
sort of mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth, you know, like in that sort of vein. Where do you come down? Are you are you pro this end of this movie, or uh, are you not as keen? I don't mind it. I mean, it, it is a bit of a cheap scare at the end, and a lot of movies are kind of doing stuff like that around now, but around that time. Um, it, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it, it again, you get to linger on uh, some of Savini's work, and you get to linger on probably the most disturbing pair of kills in the movie. Um, and you get a little nice little reminder of that. And, uh, I mean, it does, that at least does tie up something that should have been tied up earlier on in the film when the damn deputy sheriff didn't open the damn door and go (laughs) check on those two. So, I mean, you know, it kind of pays off in that, in that respect. Um, but yeah, the the ending does kind of end a little cold in a way too, because it doesn't seem like it ties up too many things. Like it's just kind of goes right into that after she blows uh, the sheriff's head off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> by, by the way, uh, Savini uh, was really uh, keen on blowing heads off those, those that sort of few years there, wasn't he? He was doing it in Dawn of the Dead, and then he he went on to do it in uh, Maniac, yep. and then he did it here. Yeah, yeah. See, but, he loves that effect, and I, I love the fact that he loves that effect. <laughs> and I love the fact that he just, he just balls out, uses a real shotgun to do it, too. Yeah. He just makes, makes mock-up head and then blows it off. It's pretty pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I I, to- I totally agree. I, I'm the same as you. I, I, it's not the greatest ending, and the whole hallucination sort of thing done at the end of the uh, the movie had been mm-hmm. had been done by many many films at this point. And you know, it's it, like you say, you get to go back and revisit uh, like an iconic scene and to get an extra jump scare out of that. I mean, that's pretty yep. cool. I can I can live with that. I think it's I I, I don't dislike it. I, I know some people say it's lazy, but um. I think of the time period. That's what's that ending is expected from a movie like this. That's what people that were going to the cinema to see slasher movies were hoping for was mm-hmm. that one final scare right at the end of the movie. So yeah, as 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 endings to some slasher movies go, this one is actually fairly respectable. There are some out there that don't make any fucking sense. Um, so yeah, totally I agree. I, I, I would I, I would agree with you as well. Uh, right, let's do some grades as you know very well. Lee, on this show, we like to keep it nice and simple. It's Netflix grades. One is hated it. Mm-hmm. Two is didn't like it. Three is liked it. Four is really liked it. And five is loved it. Where do you come down with the Prowler? And you can do point fives if you want. Okay, well then, I think I will firmly throw uh, 3.5 on this because it, it, definitely, it definitely punches above its weight a little bit. Um, if you do give it a chance, you, I think you will find that it does stand out and, de- and deservedly so amongst its peers at the time. Um, it's got the great Savini effects. It's got some very lingering, very nasty kill scenes that are very uh, unnerving. Um, and generally it's well acted and it's well done and it keeps you guessing throughout most of the picture, uh, which is more than about 90% of its contemporaries do. So, I mean, you can't complain about that. It's not a total classic of the genre, I don't think, but it's right up there close. So I'm going to come in same grade, three, three and a half out of five. Um, I think very much like yourself. Uh, I think it's it's one that if you've not seen it in a while, it begs re-examination. If you've never seen it before and you like yourself some slasher movies, get get in and get this one checked out. It's definitely one that should be on the list. 
There are plenty of slasher movies you should avoid. The Prowler is certainly not one of them, and I would give it three and a half at five as well. So there we go. First movie down. It's time to turn our attention to, like I said earlier, it's a very loose Savini link. He did additional makeup work on Alone in the Dark, but I'm sticking by it because I want to fucking talk about this movie. So myself and Lee, we're going to take another break just now. You're going to promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Alone in the Dark from 1982. When we return, we're discussing that movie right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.kruggernation.com. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses grindhouse and exploitation cinema. Your three hosts, Mike. It's a quick. <laughs> Thank you. Come again. Not racist at all. Mark. If you bend over and you have what is essentially a pubic cottontail coming out of the crack of your ass, you need to do some goddamn grooming. And listener favorite, Iris. I do not have sex with that horse. <laughs> will make you question your own political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop every Sunday and can be found by searching BB and BC Podcasts via Lipson, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and iHeartRadio. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Anything can happen when you're alone in the dark. Are you afraid of the dark? Sometimes. It's sort of fun. <laughs> With a little kid. I was scared to death to be alone in the dark. I always knew that there was something that I couldn't see that wanted to get me. What's the matter now? I know that we're all a little on edge here tonight, but let's take it easy, okay? I mean, this is an old house. There are all kinds of sounds.
starring Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, Dwight Schultz, Erland Van Lith. Alone in the Dark, from New Line Cinema. And welcome back. So we've just heard the trailer for this second and final movie review of episode 103 of the podcast Under the Stairs. This one is Alone in the Dark from 1982, directed by Jack Shoulder. <laughs> so, yeah. This guy. This, this guy. guy, by the way. This guy right here. This motherfucker right here. Did a tear of movies, which, I mean... I love so mm-hmm. allow me to, to to regale you listeners with the fact that his first three movies are three movies that I like to say enjoy is an understatement this is his film debut which was Alone in the Dark after this he went on to do the second Nightmare on Elm Street movie which mm-hmm. I think is criminally underrated I, I love that fucking movie um, and and then right after that, he did The Hidden, which mm-hmm. I think is another one of those movies, which is just this like little gem that no one fucking talks about. Right. Totally agree. I, I don't understand that at all. Um, but, he, I mean, he went on and did other bits and bobs throughout his career, and uh, I think he may be retired now. He's, he's certainly he's in his 70s. Yeah. So he may be on the, the, the kind of retirement sort of swing outside his house <laughs> I'm sure that's not what they're called but I'm calling it a retirement swing um, I've actually just double checked him while I was talking and he currently works as a teacher ah well there you go so there we go so he is he's still he's still passing off his wisdom uh, Alone in the Dark is his first movie though and what a movie to, to kick off things with the cast is intimidating mm. to say the least we have uh, Jack Palance uh, Donald Pleasance Martin Landau Dwight Schultz Erlen Van Lydith, Deborah Hedwell, Lee Taylor Allen, Philip Clark, Elizabeth Ward, Brent Jennings, other folks are in the movie. Uh, Lynchy, small appearance by mm-hmm. her, also in this movie. Um, and the story was written by Jack, but with some input from a little guy called Robert Shea. Yeah. There you go. I wonder how he. I wonder how Jack went <gasps> I, on to do this movie right until Nightmare Don't know. I don't know. Don't, it's, it's confusing me. I don't it's know. not in the IMD trivia, so I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, and his first three movies are all New Line. I wonder how that happened. Oh, well, this one was made exclusively for New Line. Uh-huh. Uh, th- this wasn't something they just picked up. This was actually an in-house production, I believe. So It was indeed. It was indeed. Um, so, let's do the, the IMDb synopsis for this one. Quartet of murderous psychopaths break out of a mental hospital during a power blackout and lead siege to their doctor's house. Um, now, I am super keen to hear your views on this one because this is one, once again, that I am fairly fairly you know familiar with i've seen it quite a few times it's one that i i couldn't place i i did see it much later on i want to say i saw it in my 20s um mm-hmm. but it's one that the first time i watched it i was like oh this is i love this movie i you know it's just so batshit crazy it's just so over the it's so over the top it's so over the top it doesn't hold back it has these veteran actors in here and it just allows them to to overact into their personas in a way which is just wonderful to watch. I mean, our our, our four killers, mm. <laughs> our four mental ward patients. We have Jack Palance. 
I love Jack Lance. Right. I fucking, you know, you are my number one guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it's not Tango's Cash, Cash, Tango, Tango, Cash. And don't even get me started <laughs> on the City Slickers. Uh, but I know I love I love me some Jack Palance. We have Donald Pleasance, who is confused in this movie as to whether he's Donald Pleasance or Michael Caine, because mm. his accent keeps jumping right. a bit Michael Caine in this movie, which is hilarious. Uh, we have Martin Landau, who is legitimately terrifying in this movie. Yeah. Like, he is so intense and so over the top. We have a uh, we have Dynamo from the Running Man, mm-hmm. uh, Erlen Van Liddeth, um I know, as, uh, uh, I know him as Terror from The Wanderers. That's my see there. yeah. He's, <laughs> that's that's my favorite role of his. He's um, you know, and he in himself is responsible for I think one of the one of the more sinister dark scenes in this mm-hmm. movie. I mean, like. When you're watching it, your skin is starting to yeah. like, crawl like there's fire ants on it. Uh, and Dwight Schultz, who is at this time will have definitely been involved with a bit of eighty match. Um, so I mean, you, you have a you have a, a a good selection of of actors. So you don't need to worry about that side of things. You know mm-hmm. your acting's taken care of. So that allows you to really focus on the story. And the story's pretty much a one of a kind. I can't think of any other movie. I've seen movies before where the killer escapes from the asylum and hunts people down. You know, you'll right. have to look at something like Black Christmas. But um, I can't think of any that allows you to have a team. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like <laughs> like, like a, 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 a quartet of, of psycho killers all hell-bent on the same mission, which is to kill their new therapist. Yeah. It, it kind of, um, I think the closest comparison I can think of would be something along the lines of uh, uh, Carpenter's take on Rio Bravo, uh, yes. Assault on Precinct 13, which, mm-hmm. which also has uh, uh, a lot of psychopaths trying to break into the uh, police station. But in that one, the killers are not fleshed out as actual characters. They're just a force of nature more than anything else. Here you actually have uh, four actors just chewing up scenery and... You can't help but notice them when they're on screen. Yeah, definitely. I, I love the, the like the attention to detail of, of the backstory of the, each of them, which is really described um, very early on in the movie. But mm-hmm. I, this is what I like. See, when people say that the reason modern horror films, they don't spend time really cultivating a backstory is they, want, they don't want to lose the interest of the audience mind. They think the audience will switch off if you start... Uh, tangentially moving into uh, to too much backstory. Right. Um, that argument doesn't make any sense when you watch a movie like this. We get a backstory to all f- four of these killers, um, delivered in less than three minutes. Like mm-hmm. less than three minutes, and you know, you know who Jack Palance is. You know, like his particular, you know, his particular bent. Why he's in there. You you know very very quickly all about Ronald Fatty. Yeah. Elster's uh, background. Um, as you know, a bit of a paedophile and child killer. Um, we know very quickly about Martin Landau's character, Preacher, where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. I love the introduction. Yeah. Um, of the of of Skags, who we you just I love that idea of he is the for all intents and purposes he is the in any other movie he's the killer that wears a mask. Mm-hmm. But in this one, we just you, they just say he doesn't really like to show his face, yeah. so you don't see his face. Um, 
and that's very very clever Skaggs's nickname is Bleeder we'll get onto that later on yeah. um, but I just I love how very very quickly this compartmentalise um, the the traits of the killers are background the story introduction to all our main key players and that's all executed within the first 10 minutes of this movie and mm-hmm. then we move on yep yeah, it's it's very uh, it's very economical in the way it does it. It's just it, it gives you everything you need to know to set things up. Uh, the the killers are drawn in really sort of broad, uh, really uh, quick broad themes. Like the you just get like okay, he's the religious nut who burns down churches. He's the he's the uh, PTSD war vet. He's the child molester, and he's the standard sort of slasher killer who doesn't show his face and there you go you got it you know where where they're coming from what they're going to do in the film totally now like i say this was the first time you watched alone in the dark and i have legitimately no idea where you're going to come down on this so what did you like about this movie okay um first thing i will mention is I did really, really love the performances. Now, mm-hmm. just the fact that these guys, and these guys were, uh, especially Landau and Pellance, they were sort of, you know, they were also kind of finding themselves at the sort of a, a low point in their careers to a certain extent. I mean, uh, um, Pleasance, on the other hand, was on the opposite side of the scale. He was f- fresh off Loomis. And mm-hmm. so he, he, was, he was getting movie roles left and right, and he was having the time of his life. But um, these two were sort of taking some pretty crappy films here and there, and <laughs> and uh, they make the most of it here. Like they, they just they seem to be given carte blanche to uh, to tear up the the uh, scenery as much as they want, and they do it with uh, <laughs> a lot of relish. Uh, they uh, Martin Landau is like you said, legitimately kind of scary, and um, Jack Plants is just. Jack Plants amped up times 10. Um, any, I think the best thing about the killers in this is that any one of these guys could have been given their own movie and they, yes. and it would have worked. And, but you put them all together and they do play off each other. I wouldn't say amazingly, but there, there is a good enough kind of combination of all four of these guys that they, they come off as a, is an interesting threat to our to our uh, family. Like it becomes a bit of a siege film at the end, and mm-hmm. so it's almost like um, it's almost again. It's almost like it's a solid precinct thirteen. Uh, so I do like I do like those aspects of it, um, and there are some really good moments here of just real horror. Uh, like you said, the um, the uh, child molester character. That, that scene where he just casually basically walks into their house early on and meets up with their young daughter. And yeah, yeah you're kind of thinking, wow, where's this film going to go? Uh, <laughs> his, const- his conversation constantly is as well as to try and get her upstairs into her bedroom. Yeah. And he, he asks her to go up about five or six times and you realise incredibly quick when watching this movie how uncomfortable that actually is to watch. Um, yeah. It's, it's, he's basically trying to groom her to get her upstairs into her room and we know what comes of that because we know who he is as yeah. a character um, the other big thing I really like in this is Donald Pleasant's performance here where he's sort of the anti-Loomis he's, he's much yeah. he's much more this touchy-feely uh, 
like legit crazy psychotherapist himself you know like he it, it's it, i guess it's sort of a sly jab at sort of the um the more um new age kind of uh psychiatry and stuff that was sort of going on at least at the very least in the decade before this mm -hmm. decade and he's sort of an artifact of that and i i was he always wants to talk to the uh mental patients he always wants to hug them he always wants to get them back into their space whatever it's supposed that's supposed to mean um and I, I i just kept expecting him at some point to just you know just before he gets killed i, I expected him to just shout out i talked to them six times <laughs> Never happens. You, you don't. You don't get. You don't get. I, I love as well. Like the, the link in because um, opening sequence is a dream sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got uh, Martin Landau's at a what do they call these things? Like a diner mm -hmm. in America. Is that like this kind of a diner thing? Yeah. And um, the the chef in there is Donald Pleasance. Yeah. And um, his character is, essentially gets hoisted upside down and. Donald Pleasance splits him in half with this giant kind of cleaver knife right? Um, and that's where he wakes up and you know and you'd be looking at it saying oh he's a crazy character etc etc and then literally within half an hour the, the Lando character preacher is waving his clothes around on fire mm -hmm. and Donald Pleasance goes across to speak to him and he speaks to him in his ear and then he stops doing it and uh, you know we have um, Dr. Potter saying what did you say to him and he says well I told him if you, you wouldn't stop I'd split you down the middle with a big knife right. and you're like right so this is his therapy to him so this is why this guy's dreaming like this you I mean this isn't just like one of these like irrational dreams he's dreaming this because his therapist is saying this to him mm -hmm. to calm him down yeah um, and he, sa he says like the worst things to these people and it's and it's he, he doesn't realize he's just he's just triggering them more he's he's yeah. he's setting them up for a big explosion and i mean also i, I will i will point out um uh yeah the, the the these dangerous killers have a the top floor to themselves and what's the only thing keeping them out an electric door <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is a great which is a great scene uh, we have the the caretaker janitor sort of guy mm -hmm. it sits down very early with dwight schultz character and um says to him you know these I've, I've overheard them they want to kill you because essentially the plot of this movie is that these these four insane killers uh, are being treated by not only uh, Donald Pleasance's character uh, but there is another doctor who has been there treating them and they very much liked their treatment with that doctor and then mm -hmm. he left yeah and when he left that basically they're introduced to this new doctor who they dislike, who they kind of feel potentially this doctor has killed mm -hmm. their doctor and as such they will kill him uh, and the plan is to to escape, which they do during this uh, power cut and um, like you say this, the, the, the last 25 minutes of this movie is really a siege movie on the house mm -hmm. um, but when you when you kind of look at how the the characters interact in the sane asylum and then how they interact in real life. I mean, because like, the, there are attempts in this movie to steer it towards a more comical side. Right. Um, but there's always this underlying darkness 
mm-hmm. which kind of follows through, which really, I, I mean, I think it makes it incredibly watchable because uh, you get to see these very recognisable faces, like you say, hamming it up to the next, like really yep. playing caricatures of themselves, but in a way which is, I mean, look, if you look at Plants, Plants is playing probably the most Plants role he's ever played. <laughs> um, he is, you know, he's almost a caricature of Jack Plants. Right. But you can see that because to play a villain is so much more fun, um, and these guys are getting to play themselves as villains, which is so much more fun. Um, they, they in one scene in this movie, chase a, a, a poor postman who's yeah. cycling down the road. They, they start revving their van up behind him so he will cycle quicker. And it looks like it's going to be a bit of a standoff and nothing's going to happen. And then, just when you think the scene has been diffused, so to speak, Plants puts this van into reverse and it hits it hits the guy, but the guy flies off his bike in a very comical fashion. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's, a, there's a comedy there to that. And this movie kind of plays with that, but it doesn't try and lean heavily on, right, this is the funny bit because uh, later on we're going to have the dark bit it doesn't need to do that I think that's that's excellent, I would agree with you as well, Donald Pleasance is having a ball in this role yeah. he is he is equally as, as crazed as later Loomis in this movie, but mm-hmm. at the same time he is the inverse of that character, he's all you know, like, oh, what's that, you want a match crazy man, yeah. oh, here have some matches you know, like facilitating their, their insanity all the way through this movie, he's a complete enabler. Yeah, yeah, he just, uh, uh, where Loomis wanted to lock up Michael Myers and keep him locked away forever, this guy wants them wandering around everywhere and doing whatever they want to do as long as they're, you know, they're because they're voyagers. They're, they're just on a different voyage than everyone else. <laughs> um, he's actually based on, a, I think, an actual psychiatrist, his character, who, who had some sort of a theory about us all being insane and that the people we think are crazy are more real or I, I didn't read uh-huh. up on it but it, it, it's, it's some sort of weird inverse theory about um, about um, mentally disturbed people that uh, yeah it, it plays out unfortunately for him uh, <laughs> very nastily at the end because of his uh, his little uh, half-baked theories there but um, uh, I will mention uh, the, the the scene where they do back up and hit that mailman I was I was half expecting the killer from uh, Silent Night Deadly Night to show up and <laughs> garbage day <laughs> I was expecting every time I watch this movie when the car gets hit and he, he bims, you know kind of flies off there I keep expecting a comical boom yeah kind of noise of him flying over because it is, it is played that way but then you you kind of contrast or juxtapose those scenes with, like we said earlier on, when we have uh, like Fatty basically standing over the girl mm-hmm. trying to get her into her room, and then we see a character uh, later on coming to the house, going upstairs to to his girlfriend, uh, and they they start getting it on in bed, and then you hear a noise, and I love this movie as well. Loves to do not only false scares, but it also loves to play with the paradigm of jump scares. Yeah. Um, so, when they hear a noise, he gets sent to the door, opens the door, there's nothing there. You would expect, the way the music plays, you expect someone behind the door, but there's mm-hmm. no one behind the door, so he shuts it. So then he turns around and starts walking, then stops. The music then plays in a particular way that you would expect someone to burst through the door. That never happens. He walks back to the bed, and as he's standing over the bed, a hand comes from under the bed, pulls him under, and then 
the girl on the bed is traumatised with this huge fucking hunting knife coming up through the mattress, which then terrifies her, and then we finally think she's going to escape. She runs through the door, and she runs right in the hands of Fatty, who... I'll say this kill is actually one of the more brutal ones in the film, where he basically lifts her off the ground by her throat. Yeah. And camera pans out, and we see her, he strangles her to death. Yeah, and he, and I mean, uh, he he was like a legit like weightlifter too, so he he had no trouble like picking that that will will willowy um, yeah. young la- lady there, uh, just picking her up uh, by himself, and yeah, just strangling her, and yeah, it, it is very effective. And then it, of course they employ at the very end of the film, well near the end of the film, they employ the uh, sort of classic. Uh, jump scare of bodies suddenly falling out of places you know from from past victims so they open up the uh, cupboard or whatever and those two fall out after they've been missing through the last half of the film yeah and you even get to to the point the actual the the very end of the movie as dif- the different slasher killers are coming out mm-hmm. of different areas there's no respite and it's scare after scare so one comes out a door right we'll hit him down right this one all oh, right now this one's come out here right we'll try and put a cleaver in his back and they're like, oh no he's not dead we'll do this again right <laughs> finally finally we can oh no he's still alive all oh, right now we have to deal with that and when you finally get through it all you forget that you forget two things in this movie which I think are, are pretty incredible. Uh, there is a reveal of of Bleeder, mm-hmm. um, which I think is perfect because you yeah. forget about that character entirely. Yeah, that was... Uh, that generally... Uh, that, that did catch me off guard. I was pleasantly surprised with that twist. Um, that was... Actually, for me, I, I think that was probably the most well-done story bit in the entire film, yeah, honestly. I, I would agree. I, yeah. I think that that was played off really, really well. It was very effective, and just the reveal of him being that character, I thought, was really effectively done as well, because you you're, have a tight end shot on the uh, the sister of, of, the, uh, of, the, of the wife there, um, hugging this guy, and then all of a sudden, the blood drops coming down from Bleeder's nose onto her face. Uh, that was really, really well done. It's a, it's a great reveal, uh, and once again, you can do that because he's the, like we said earlier on, the faceless yeah killer. So you know you, you can do that fine, and then you get through all this, and then you forget Polans is still in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and then he just appears, and you're like, how many fucking killers are in this movie? Right? <laughs> can I get a count? Can I get? I thought there was only four, and now it feels like there's ten. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, my, my only my. My only gripe with this movie, and we'll move into that now, uh, things that don't necessarily work all that well. I don't really like the very end of the movie. It's the only thing that I dislike, because mm-hmm. everything else I can chalk up to being goofy and over the top. But And I'm fine with you leaving Palance alive at the end oh, of yeah. this movie. Yeah. That's that's fine. You know, I'm not, I have no problem with that at all. But it, it kind of almost feels like a cop-out from this movie. Um you know, for for the build up and all the rest, for him to essentially be not left in the wild. Once again, I don't mind that. I don't mind that aspect. But it, you know, the, the interactions with the punk girl and the the, the the kind of smile and laugh at the end of this movie doesn't really give you an indication as to anything that's going to happen afterwards. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of feel it's a missed opportunity. 
Uh, I know maybe maybe it's done that way. I don't know if there was ever talk of a potential sequel, but maybe it's done deliberately aloof to leave that door open. But there isn't a great deal of closure at the end of the movie, which I think a movie like this, after giving you all the batshit stuff that you've had before, kind of needs. Uh, what did you think of the um, ending? Yeah, I think, it, I think the ending is pretty weak. Um, I think, first off, just... The turn of uh, Palance's uh, uh, character, uh, the the reason he ends up leaving, I think, is pretty goddamn convenient. Um, I mean, all of a sudden the power comes on and he sees that doctor on the TV and suddenly, oh, he's not dead. Okay, I'm going to leave. I mean, Uh that that's that's kind of okay. That's kind of poor writing. I don't I don't like that at all. Um, And when he gets to the punk club, they basically end the film on a joke. Oh, look at these crazy punk rockers. They're so nuts yeah. that uh, Palance fits right in with them, you know? I mean, he, he, he walks into the punk, punk club and the guy at the door tries to charge him the cover charge and he smashes the guy's head into the wall and everyone cheers him. So, yeah. you know, it's it's got that sort of uh, that uh, uh, sort of stereotype of, oh, all punk rockers are crazy. Yeah, and like okay. violence. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, yeah, okay, he ended on a joke feels like he really didn't have uh, a good enough ending with just Palance's character walking off into the darkness you know uh, you had to you had to try to put some sort of exclamation point on it and it doesn't really work for me all that well yeah I'm, not, I'm the same I, I kind of I kind of feel like for a movie that really is at times very well written throughout uh, throughout um, it kind of feels like the they just lost sight. It kind of feels like almost like it was. They just didn't know how to finish the movie, and that's they'd obviously already shot things in that punk club with that band earlier on. Right. So they might as well get their money's worth out of it. Yeah. Um, which yeah, yeah that's here or there. Um, I I also think the movie, whilst it does have some pretty brutal kills, it does lack on the gore. Actually, it doesn't have as much, even coming back. I thought this movie was a lot gorier than it was. Uh, coming back to watch it for the first yeah, time, yeah, a couple of years. There's really nothing, is there? I mean, no. Uh, the, I think the goriest part is when the uh, uh, Skaggs there, when he's wearing the Jason mask, um, he, he kills that one guy with the garden tool and rips out like what looks to be uh, jello and red paint out of the guy's throat. I mean, you, you can tell that Tom Savini was only in there for that one effect scene, that one brief couple seconds uh, at yeah. the end of the film. And his name was just used to, to help sell the film, um, because a, a lot of the other effects are kind of lacking. Um, the kills are mostly off-screen for the most part. Um, well, not quite off-screen, but they're not—they're just not brutal like you would expect yeah. for this kind of material. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's. And once again, I, I'm not saying that you you need to have that in in the movie. I think maybe with the the, the older age of some of the killers maybe doing that would have been a bit uh, lacking it, in taste for them yeah, potentially well and it might just be the the black comedy aspect they they might have not they might have not uh, I, I think maybe they were probably trying to make this like a straight up black comedy in a way and maybe it doesn't yeah. pair up all that well when the, with, the, with the final product but they were trying to keep the kills a bit more like like the kills in uh, have you ever seen serial mom? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's just been, just been announced that it's coming out in Blu-ray, I think, as oh, well. So. Uh, 
so yeah, the, the kills are more of a black comedy kind of kill style for the most part, like it, like you would expect maybe from Serial Mom or something like that, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so they're they're not as uh, overtly graphic, but uh, there there is still a, a, an innate brutality to them if you, if you look under the surface, under the actual uh, comedic aspects of some of it. So, yeah, I, I think you're right there as well. Anything else you you didn't care for in Alone in the Dark? Um. I do feel that at times this gets uh, very slow and bogged down when it's just following the family. I mean, I, honestly, I didn't like the family at all. <laughs> I, I could have done without any of them. I think the one I liked the most was the uh, was the poser punk rock chick who was doing her best PJ Souls impersonation. Oh, um, she really was. Yeah, I mean, she was right out of rock and roll high school, man. I mean, it was just it was it was so uh, overt, um, but. Yeah, it's it's a little sl- it's, it's it really slows down with them. I mean, I could have used more screen time with the killers, honestly, uh, because you're not really this film isn't really building up all that much suspense and tension as far as revealing the killers. I mean, we see them right from the start, so we know what's going on, and they're your featured stars in this. They should be on screen a little bit more, um, and I do think it does feel at part at times a little slow and pedestrian. Uh, for my tastes, uh, some people may differ depending on what they like, but uh, I, I did feel like it, it did get a little slow in parts, and it kind of diverted my attention from uh, from things. But um, overall, I mean, I, I, I still look at the performances and stuff in this, and I really do love them. And I really do love the idea of uh, movie logic, where as soon as you have a blackout, no matter where you are, there's going to be a riot. Like even if it's even if it's like small town America where everyone probably has guns, you're still gonna have a riot in the streets and everyone's knocking over stores just because we had a blackout. It's just like it's like is everyone in this town crazy? It's not just the mental asylum, you know? Yeah, I, I think I, I think um, it, you re, you raise a couple of points. Like I, I am. I'm all right with the family. I don't think they're the greatest on-screen family by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> at all. Um, and yeah, I think I think there's there is a, almost this level of once again. It, I don't know if it's the actors. The, you know, they didn't have, uh, they didn't want to do as much, or what that was like, or yeah. how the script was written, or or things like that. But yeah, you could always there's always room for more. Martin Landau, Donald Pleasance, Jack Palance—you know, like there's I, always I bet more they, room for them. On yeah, screen. I'm sorry. I, I bet they couldn't afford them for any more screen time. That was probably the biggest thing. I mean, even even though they were sort of slumming uh, here and there, they were still they were they could still demand at least decent money that a, a low budget production like this wouldn't necessarily be able to shill out for all that time. So, I mean, this movie like essentially went nowhere. Um, it didn't really open to any sort of fanfare at all, didn't get much of a release was gone pretty quick mm-hmm. um, and even even when it came to like, the kind of the, the VHS market, it wasn't exactly flying off the shelves either there and it has taken a very long time for the movie to to start to gain uh, a bit of uh, appreciation you know, that kind of cult-like following that right. starts to come along with, with movies from that, that, that decade especially um, and it never really like like flew to any huge points and I think to me it's always one of these ones where when you look at what was out in 82 mm-hmm. slasher wise Alone in the Dark is one of those ones that is, is so wholly different from everything else that comes out right um, 
that that it, it, you know it, it gains a bit of respect from you because it's it's almost it's almost button against the conventions of slasher movies they, to give you yeah they are taking the a chance here definitely yeah yeah i think and that, that to me like like i say it, it gets a bit of cred for it right um let's let's swing in here with a grade mm. for Alone in the Dark. It's the same as before Netflix grades. I will say it's a four for me. I really like this movie. Um, I think, yeah, it could have been done with a bit more gore, but you have wacky over-the-top performances by veterans of genre cinema. Um, you have some scenes which are really, really dark, really quite twisted. Uh, a couple of deaths which are... Are maybe not necessarily on screen and great, but the 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 association of your mind filling in what has happened to that character is very unpleasant. Um, and yeah, I think it's fun. It's I laugh at bits, and the, there is there's a weird nostalgia that comes over me when it comes to discussing Alone in the Dark. So it's four from me. Lee, what about yourself? What grade do you give Alone in the Dark? Um, I was sort of going i was sort of bouncing in between two and a half and three i think you talked me up a little bit sir um <laughs> so uh i i do enjoy the performances i i do uh i do sort of pick up on what you're saying i do kind of respect that this was trying to buck the trend of uh the, it's sort of contemporaries of the time it was trying to do something a little different and uh there are some really interesting stuff things in this there are some really nice dark moments and uh, some funny parts. And I think I'll give it uh, three Donald Pleasant hugs out of uh, five <laughs> because he looked like he was a really good hugger. So there we go. He does. He looks so cuddly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never, like, I, I, love, I love the fact, like, the 80s are just, like, the, like, Pleasance is just all over the shop in the 80s. Yeah. And then by the time you get to Phenomena, it's just, like, our creepers, depending on what territory you're in. He's just like his Scottish accent's as good as his Michael Caine. Uh, it really is. Like, what are you doing, man? He's got a monkey. He's got a monkey, though. It doesn't matter. A monkey with a, a switchblade. Exactly. That's the greatest thing ever. You don't God talk. Bless you, don't you, talk your you don't talk about his accent, or you fucking faced a monkey. That's <laughs> it. Has been an absolute blast having you on this show. I will definitely, definitely not wait as long next time in between try and get you on this show and then not get you on the show to get you back on this has been a ton of fun um, I think next time you pick the film so okay I think that seems like a fair deal a fair trade and um, I think we, we we don't do slashers we go somewhere else so I'll leave that with you okay uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I can come up with something I'll have to uh, peruse your back catalogue as it were and uh, I'll, 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 I'll make up a nice little short list for us and uh, I like I like your style. Um, like I said at the start of the episode, you are on a fantastic podcast that people need to go out and check. Uh, they must be destroyed on site podcast. Remind my listeners, where can they check out that show? Uh, you can go to tmbdos.podbean.com and you can find all of our stuff right there. Boom. That is what I'm talking about, ladies and gents. That is what I'm talking about. Right, we're going to take our final break of this show. When I come back, I'm closing it right out, right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. (laughs) 
and you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 103 where we looked at The Prowler from 1981 and Alone in the Dark from 1982. Once again, a huge thank you to my very special guest this week, Lee Russell from the Must Be Destroyed on-site podcast. Please go across and check out their show. Go and join their Facebook group page. I shared it tonight after speaking to them in the Facebook group page for teapots. So yeah, please, please, please go across and check that out. So, the week has finally arrived, ladies and gents. This week we will be dropping the pre-orders for the podcast Under the Stairs posters. That is right, this has been a long, long, long time coming since we debuted the artwork designed by the fantastic Joshua Kelly. And now... The dream has become a reality. So towards the end of this week, we will be posting on the page how you can buy one. Um, And if you are one of the lucky people within the first 25 purchases, you will get it numbered and signed by the Baz with an option, whether you want it or not, uh, to have me sign it along with the Baz. Um, After that, any posters that are purchased will just come out as standard. Um, Like I said on previous shows, I will be getting proper poster tubes to send them out in, so this way it should stop any of the damage that happened to some of the ones that went out abroad. And we are posting them all across the world. So keep your eyes peeled. We'll be posting the ads for them on the Facebook group page. We will be um, posting them, obviously, on Instagram and on Twitter as well. So please, please, please keep your eyes peeled for that. We have a ton of amazing content coming up over the next couple of weeks. I I really have uh, outdone myself with some of the movie selections and um, the guests are going to be pretty bitching as well. So I really am looking forward to doing that. For those that are interested, the end of March sees the return of Chronicle, my side podcast. I recently announced on the Facebook group page for Chronicle that uh, season three will be looking at some motherfucking Lucio Fulci. That's right, we're going to look at Fulci and our European horror cinema bracket. Our first season dedicated to a director, which I will be doing every other season. I will dedicate it to a European director of my choice and go through some fantastic movies. So yeah, Dolce coming up on Season 3 of Chronicle. A quick reminder of some of the other shows you can hear me on, because I get asked every now and again, uh, when, when someone jokes about how many shows I'm on, what shows I'm on and how to get listening to them. Uh, so yeah, Podcast Under the Stairs comes out weekly. Uh, I also do another weekly show, The Midnight Horror Show. It's a live radio show in the States at 7pm Eastern Standard Time. You can listen to that at tmhsradio.com or the TuneIn app if you want to listen to us live you can download that TuneIn app for free and then search TMHS Radio um, or you can search Midnight Horror Show on um, iTunes etc and you can go across and listen to the shows that we post as podcasts over there so that comes out weekly every Wednesday I do Chronicle which has two seasons out already through Legion Podcast Network you can go and check that out I did do a show called Doing the Nasty with Andy Blockley it looked at all 72 of the video nasties Um, You can listen to that by going to horrorphilia.com. We are currently doing a show called Opera Omnia, which is coming back in the next two weeks, continuing the second half of season one, looking exclusively at Michael Mann's filmography. So we're about the halfway mark. We're going to close out the second half 
over the next few months. So check that one out. That one's also exclusive to Legion Podcast Network. Uh, and myself and Bo Ransdell are currently rattling through Twin Peaks for Duncan and Bo Come Correct, or as we've called this one, and Duncan and Bo Go to Twin Peaks. And that is also coming out weekly um, on Legion Podcast Network. So go across and check that one out. So plenty of avenues to listen to my dulcet tones moving forward. Speaking of ways to listen to my dulcet tones, the podcast Under the Stairs can be checked out at various different sources. And the main one I always promote is iTunes. And if you're checking us out on iTunes and you've not subscribed to us, please subscribe to the feed. That way, every new episode drops, you will get it straight away. And you get entire access to the back catalogue of T-Putt's episodes. And if you're also subscribed to us over there, please leave us some feedback. Even if you're not subscribed, leave us some feedback over there. Every little helps. If it's five stars, for example, the more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts were pushed for more people to check out the show. So please, please, please do that for me. And you can check us out on Stitcher Smart Radio and on SoundCloud. Please visit our website, tputzcast.com. Our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast is the best horror podcast group page on the internet, bar none. You will be welcomed like the a long lost sibling we didn't know about but we are instantly eager to engage with. You can also check us out on our twin prongs of social media sexiness of the Twitter and Instagram, both of them by using at Cast and join us both over there. And like I said on the bonus episode that dropped on Friday, when your t-shirt or baseball top arrives that you, you purchased, uh, you need to get a photo in the most insane place you can think of. Uh, once you've done that, Send it on Instagram. Tag us on Instagram. Remember, tag. Do not just be like, no, you have to tag us on Instagram um, so we can see those photos. In a couple of weeks' time, we will pick our favourite one and that person will win a prize. Whew, a lot of talking on this show. A lot, a lot of talking on this show. Lee was a great guest, so cannot wait to have him back on. But I think this is time that I take my leave of you, ladies and gentlemen. So until I speak to you again, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whatever time zone you're in, this is Duncan McLeish wishing you well and broadcasting live from under the stairs. Bye, everyone. Class war, this is class war. It's 